politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots, forgotten American taxpayers and loyal gun owners to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, in the house for a new exciting week here on Monday, February 17th. And yes, some colloquially call it President's Day. But as you well know, past listeners, uh, veteran listeners that are in our advanced degree program here at CR Podcast know that I am not a big fan of this President's Day. Um, I do like that Congress is out today. Um, You will see in a minute why it's important that we have things on ice to give us more time to mobilize uh, while there are sleeping in late today uh, because there's a lot of mischief going on there. But um, man, this is not about President's Day. Okay, this is not about Martin Van Buren and Woodrow Wilson and FDR and uh, Barack Obama. Okay, this was supposed to be about February 22nd, which is George Washington's birthday. We celebrate one man, honor the legacy of one man, Maybe you could say Lincoln as well. February 12th was his birthday. This was all created just, you know, to get a federal holiday for federal workers, um, as well as mattress companies to sell their stuff. But um, that's really what we celebrate. And, you know, just again, just in honor of George Washington, just want to note one of his uh, great quotes from the farewell address of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion, and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism, who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens. The mere politician equally with the pious man ought to respect and to cherish them. A volume could not trace all their connections with private and public felicity. Let it simply be asked, Where is the security for property, for reputation, for life, if the sense of religious obligation desert the oaths, which are the instruments of investigation in courts of justice? And let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education on minds of peculiar structure, Reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. Holy smokes, guys. I mean, that's it. You want to know, in short, why uh, a little bit over 200 years since those words were uttered? Why we've gone downhill? That's it. We've lost our religious and moral fabric. So again, something to keep in mind on a day like today when we are supposed to be celebrating the legacy of George Washington. Um, one other thing that does come to mind to set the stage for today's show, um, as we discuss the concept of appealing to the president, particularly this president, Donald Trump, who naturally is inclined to agree with patriots, and he does exude a certain patriotism, but given the complication of Javanka. You know, Jared and Ivanka and the shallow swamp and the deep state swamp there and the broken Republican Party and the phony conservative movement. 
unfortunately, there not only are we not getting our due for the forgotten American citizen, we're actually going backwards on certain policies. And there's a threat that we're really going to go backwards after a second term if we don't right the ship and we don't appeal to the man. And I thought for, for a day like today, when we talk about the presidency, the off again, you know, it, it was to honor the legacy of George Washington, not the office of the presidency. But if we want to go that route, I want to give you an interesting quote, very fascinating from Hamilton and Fairless 70, explaining why there should be a one man executive. Remember, they got rid of the king, King George. What do we what do we create? We need government, some form of government to secure justice and liberty. But on the other hand, we certainly don't want the government to become a problem. What, what is that balance to achieve? And they really experimented with different ideas. And one of them possibly was, hey, maybe you have a triumvirate. Maybe you have uh, an executive panel of, of, of several people. So Hamilton made the case for why they chose, chose the concept of a one-man executive. He said, quote, It is evident from these considerations that the plurality of the executive tends to deprive the people of the two greatest securities they can have for the faithful exercise of any delegated power. First, the restraints of public opinion, which lose their efficacy as well on account of the division of the censure attendant on bad measures among a number, as on account of the uncertainty on whom it ought to fall. In other words, who do you blame it upon? Each person blames the other guy. And second, the opportunity of discovering with facility and clearness the misconduct of the persons they trust in order either to their removal from office or to their actual punishment in cases which admit of it. The importance of having one man to appeal to was everything would rest on his shoulders. Hamilton also talked about that a lot when it came to the power of pardons. Rather than putting it uh, in, in the hands of Congress, where each person could kind of um, absolve himself of culpability, the idea was, hey, we're going to put that on one man, and everyone's going to know that that belongs to him. And I felt that was very important today as we talk about our 45th president. Um, certainly, there was a great exhibit of patriotism at the Daytona 500. A lot of people are talking about it. The president taking the lap. Uh, around around the you know the the stadium there it was truly truly great i love nascar um unfortunately got rained out so they're not gonna really run it till today later today but having air force one fly over the stadium everyone there was really you know a great collection of patriots there but again as i always note if we had this display of patriotism but quietly the same republican fools are pushing open borders pushing big government pushing gun control even pushing pro-criminal stuff and then they even get the president through Javanka to to get on board with that stuff well then we're left with the icing without the cake we're, we're left with the the great patriotism without a, a fabric a soul of a republic and we need to appeal directly to this man. But the fact that we're not, the fact that all my colleagues get gun shy to appeal to the president, say, no, Mr. President, you have bad staff. The McConnell McCarthy are screwing you. Lindsey Graham is pushing amnesty on you. No, don't go in that direction. The fact that they stand down is a problem. 
That is, it's just dumb. What do you shoot at? Do you shoot at a target you could hit or a target you can't hit? We can't influence Nancy, Nancy Pelosi. She's not going to listen to us. Okay? I could say all I want. Oh, look at what Nancy Pelosi did. But when you have Republicans doing almost as bad, you actually have someone to appeal to. Donald Trump. Why don't you do it? Oh, I'm too scared. Uh, Jared won't invite me to the White House. Well, then what's the point in your influence? What's the point in your platform? Let me give you one more piece of information before we get to the main course today. What I want to talk about, the massive big fat amnesty that Republicans are preparing to push at the highest levels. And that if we don't have it now, we will have it in the second term if we don't really raise Cain right here, right now. So over the weekend, um, I submitted or requested to submit an op-ed in a big publication that seems to publish a lot of really good stuff exposing jailbreak and just these weak on crime policies and you know criminals getting out and doing crazy things or pedophiles offenders not getting locked up. And the content of what i was going to write about was basically what was it thursday show we did here together uh just explaining why it's just dumb policy and dumb politics for the trump campaign to start lurching to the left on crime and attacking uh bloomberg from the left and I was in utter shock, but then ultimately I wasn't shocked when I got word back. And, and, and to his credit, the um, editor got back to me pretty soon. He didn't ignore me. And he just said, look, you know, we've taken a very strong pro-justice reform um, uh, opinion in our op-ed. So, you know, obviously it's not going to work. Something like that. And, you know, I sent it around to some some of my friends that that dealt with them and they were shocked because you know they, they were we, we thought they were on the other side of it on our side but then then i looked at it and i and i, and I it, it really hit me it made a lot of sense when it's a matter of talking about oh look at what Pelosi's doing look at what the san francisco soros da is doing look at what cuomo and de blasio are doing yeah yeah you know because we're all we're all part of a tribe so the main tribe in politics is the democrats the, the controlled opposition tribe that if you want to you know, engage in this business, be a writer, a talker, a politico, you're, you, you're a part of Team Republican. So you're able to, to you know, rally around Republicans. All oh, the Democrats are doing bad stuff. Well, what happens when Republicans do bad stuff? And what happens when the ultimate Republican who has the ultimate support from the audience of that tribe, a.k.a. Donald Trump, is roped into some of this stuff? When he really he doesn't support it. Well, uh, Daniel, you know, we're, we're kind of we are for legitimate criminal justice reform. Maybe not what the Democrats are doing. So, so we, we really don't want to hit the president on this. And it's a very sobering and sad observation, but it's the truth. It, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It's obvious. This is why there really isn't much room for people like me in this phony controlled opposition. Because, I mean, you're finding it all the time. All these people, let's say the Democrats are proposing a 10. On a scale from 1 to 10, in terms of radicalism, they propose a 10. So, yeah, everyone's going to be like, oh, look what they're doing. 
But now, let's say Republicans, and including the president, gets convinced to promote an eight-level anarchy, tyranny, socialist craziness. Well, are you going to spend time focusing on the Democrats that aren't going to listen to you? Or focus on the man that intuitively really agrees with you? To this day, he's still talking about the death penalty for drug traffickers. But say, hey, Mr. President, like you're betraying your promise. This is not what you want. The people have your back. Don't feel convinced uh, that you need to go along with Jared and, and, and all these Republicans. Um, do, do exactly what you ran against, what you railed against, and you'll be fine. But no, each person's too scared to tell the president that. So therefore, we get nothing. We don't have that appeal to the president. And folks, this is how I guarantee you, unless this changes, we will have massive jailbreak, massive amnesty, massive expansion of government in the second term, and it will be worse than the first term. It doesn't have to be this way at all. But if there is one lesson I could give over to you about the observation of the first three years here, it's this. The fact that my colleagues in this industry refuse to appeal to the president when it matters, when he's getting roped into the wrong things, and instead they stand down and will often even support it, that's allowing Trump, rather than becoming a weapon for our side, it's becoming a defeat mechanism and we're worse off. Where am I seeing this? So I started this discussion on Friday, but it's too important not to double down on. And I want to continue. Republicans are pushing a massive amnesty bill that literally repeats the dynamics of 1980, the 1986 amnesty, albeit without even the phony promises. So as I mentioned, Senator Tom Tillis, this piece of garbage from North Carolina, total rhino, is doing everything he can to push this H.R. 5038, the so-called Orwellian named Farm Workforce Modernization Act. Now, just to go back a little bit farther, on December 11th, right about two months ago, House Democrats, with the support of 34 Republicans, passed an amnesty for anyone who claims to have worked for just, it's something like, out of the last 180 days or something, a certain number of hours in agriculture. I mean, it's literally, it could be someone who worked part-time nights, uh, weekends, let's say weekends um, in agriculture for like a half a year, and they'll be eligible for amnesty. That's a heck of a lot of people. And then there's a very weak verification, um, even if you would agree with this. So as we learned from the ag amnesty in 86, remember a big part of the 86 amnesty, there were about 1.1 million agricultural workers that got amnesty. A lot of them, it was well known, they never really worked in ag, and it was, it was a total fraud. And as I noted on Friday, um, not only does this bill... You know, is it a mass amnesty for very low skilled, often very troubled young males working in agriculture? They're drug traffickers, gang members, criminals, drunk drivers. But it permanently tethers American agriculture to the promise of green cards for low skilled foreign workers. So it's a terrible system for, for immigration, but it's also a terrible system for farming. See, part of the problem we have now is one government market distortion begets another. We have government just 
totally, like they did with healthcare, created monopolies for these big conglomerates. The average farm worker, farm, you know, family farm doesn't want this garbage. They would love American workers. What they've done is they've given control just through all, forget about immigration, all the farm subsidies has created monopolies, just like the subsidies in healthcare cre created <coughs> monopolies for the big healthcare conglomerates and the big insurers. We're, we're going to rapidly approach a time in America where there's like 30 farmers left, 30 farming entities, just like we have with healthcare in America. Mergers, acquisitions. And what that's done is it's handed them all the political power. And what they've done is they've just brought in all this cheap labor and it's created a self-fulfilling reality of, of wages where then everyone has a difficult time now and then they demand even more. So what this bill does is it creates a permanently new H2 program that, that says if you work for 10 years for agriculture, you get green cards. It's, it's an indentured servitude. It's just a horrible thing. And again, by supplying them with a permanent level of slave labor, literally indentured servitude, people are so desperate to come here, get green cards, bring their kids in. That is a very powerful commodity to hold over slave labor on behalf of the agricultural industry. And what that's going to do is, aside from the just offensiveness of the of the cultural problems, the fiscal problems, the immigration problems, it's just horrible agricultural policy because it's going to obviate the need to modernize. It's, it's literally the opposite of the, the name of the bill. They're not going to mechanize um, different aspects of, of meatpacking and dairy farming. You're not going to have um, any of the technological advances some of the other countries are working on because why should you? You know, it's only if you have to pay people a normal wage, it's going to start pushing you. Hey, you know, let's let's start innovating and maybe we could come up with a way that we don't need as many hands on workers. So this is a horrible, horrible, horrible bill. I mean, this is the worst nightmare that you would have ever had under Hillary presidency. This is the very type of thing, very type of thing Trump ran against. Yet, yet, here's what we have here. This guy, Dan Newhouse, a Washington State Rhino Republican, uh, co-sponsored it with Zoe Lufgren. She is one of the impeachment managers. Managers! Okay? And she's the sponsor of this bill. And yet Tom Tillis from North Carolina, working with Lindsey Gramnesty, the Judiciary Committee chairman. I mean, this is what we have. As the chairman with oversight over immigration is a guy pushing amnesty. Lankford is another guy. They had a meeting with Sonny Perdue, the agricultural secretary, on Wednesday, according to my sources. And what they're trying to do is very quickly get the president on board to support this. It's kind of the same modus operandi they did with the first step back, the jailbreak bill, create a momentum, like a velocity that this is inevitable. You can't stop it. This is it. You know, not going to work. Now, According to my sources, while the three, the, the big guys, Tillis, working with Graham and um, Langford to introduce a Senate companion bill, I'm also hearing that Rounds of South Dakota, Blunt of Missouri, Ernst of Iowa, and Martha McSally of Arizona were also present at that meeting with Sonny Perdue. I also heard that there were no DHS officials present. 
which you would think if you have an immigration amnesty bill, you would get the Homeland Security perspective. But no, this is all by the egg whores um, of by and for them. So that's why Sonny Perdue is the only one there. Now, interestingly enough, part of why they tried to push it over the weekend is because they knew some of you might have heard um, Stephen Miller got um, got married over the weekend to uh, what's her name? Um, Katie Waldman. Uh, she is Mike Pence's press secretary, which is interestingly enough, ties into this. So they figured he's away. They wanted to try to get the president on board with this. Now, I don't think they've been successful yet. But remember. The president has not issued a statement of administration policy threatening to veto this bill. Remember, this bill passed with bipartisan support, extremely transformative. Almost always, always, always. If you have I mean, if it's like a nothing burger bill that's not going to go anywhere in the Senate, they might not always bother to issue a, a statement of administrative policy. But I could tell you when you have a live ball like this that gets bipartisan support, if assuming the president really opposes it, he would absolutely issue a sap. Like, for example, when you had bipartisan support for clamping down on Saudi Arabia arms transfers or the border wall reprogramming funding uh, more recently with this. Um, what do you call it? Uh, Iranian uh, you know, denying the president authority to attack, attack Iran. There was some bipartisan support along with the Democrats. The president issued a sap. OK, a veto threat. The fact that they did not issue a veto threat is very disturbing. That means this is in play. Now, I could tell you all the whores, Jared, um, Sonny Perdue, everyone pretty much supports this in the administration. You know who else is pushing it? Vice President Mike Pence. Okay, so this is a very this is an unbelievable thing. We have sanctuary cities. We have millions of criminal aliens in this country. And yet, what are they pushing? What are they pushing? A repeat of the 1986 amnesty. It's truly unbelievable. Not, not, not the effort to, after the president called out in the State of the Union address, the need to allow victims of criminal aliens to, to sue sanctuary cities. No rush to push that. Folks, this is what is waiting for us on the other side of a second term, if they don't downright do it now. So if you Google, I don't have it in front of me now, but if you look up the White House phone number, tell them we want the president to oppose H.R. 5038, the agricultural amnesty bill. If they play dumb with you, some of you have told me you called and they're like, I never heard of that bullcrap. That bill passed the House with bipartisan support. And it's a very big bill. And, and the, the chairman of the relevant committee that would spearhead it in the Senate, Republican Lindsey Graham is, is pushing it. So this is a very big deal. This is something you would think we would never have to worry about under a Trump presidency. But yes, yet, yet we do. Because this is also a perfect lesson. As Rush and Sean and, and, and Fox News and all these guys are focusing on whatever they focus on, remember, McCarthy and McConnell and Graham and Jared and and Pence, the whole swamp, the people that are antithetical to what Trump campaigned on, they're always plotting and scheming how to get the president to support their crap. That's what they did with the jailbreak bill. So if we don't get to him first, they'll get to him first. And once Trump supports it, it's game over. 
I mean, if, if Trump supports amnesty in next next term, I'm just telling you, you might have maybe Tucker and Laura a couple days will oppose it. But that's about it. Everyone will go along and say it's the greatest deal ever because Trump is supporting it. This is very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. But this is the point. You know, Tucker will talk a lot, and I like Tucker, but I mean, he'll talk a lot about, oh, Ilan Omer's immigration bill. But look, <laughs> that's not a problem. That's never going to get passed. But, but this bill, which is almost as bad, it has top-level Republican support, including and up to the vice president, and the, and the president himself has not definitively opposed it. Where are you? Tucker, come on, get on this. Somehow, everyone is squeamish about shooting at our side when they're supporting it, but that's when and where you need to shoot. Come on. Let's not be cowards here and beat around the bush and talk about things that don't matter. Remember, I mean, this is, you know, the president has already backed away from E-Verify. This is from um, Alan Gomez, who is a very in-the-know uh, immigration reporter for USA Today. This is from uh, two weeks ago. We need people. Donald Trump says he wants to see more legal immigration in the U.S. He has totally walked back his promise to cut legal immigration numbers. Now he's downright talking about expanding it. He, they've already expanded H-2 low-skilled workers more than any other presidency. And by the way, you know, when we talk about how nobody mentions the forgotten problems of flooding our rural communities with dorm-like scenarios, you know, like where you just pack in the young males, hardy young males that are very volatile from very volatile countries. Well, you know, they might work hard during the day, but a lot of them are going to be doing the drug trafficking. That I mean, there's a whole AP article on this how they are the conduit in rural communities for CJNG and Sinaloa to bring in the drugs. The criminal aliens, gang members, lots of drunk drivers, they, they spend their weekend wages often, their wages over the weekend and get drunk, spend it on booze, and then they drive because it's kind of part of the culture. But part of this bill, it permanently establishes, quote, the Housing Preservation and Revitalization Program, which provides financing assistance for rural rental housing and off-farm labor housing and rental assistance for qualified tenants of such housing. It also authorizes the Department of Agriculture to provide various assistance, including funding for ensuring loans and grants for new farm worker housing. So now we're going to just create slums in our beautiful rural areas so these whores and lobbyists could get endless cheap labor, well, what are our rural communities going to look like? Downtown LA? MS-13? I mean, really? Does no one ever think about this? And, and what I always love, these guys are like, we want our cheap labor. All right, I, I understand that. I understand why you want it. But how dare you pay them crap so then we then have to give them welfare for all their American-born kids. You know, let, 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 let's call a spade a spade. Everyone knows the reason you want them is so you could pay them nothing. Well, if you're going to pay them nothing, you can't, on the other hand, tell me, oh, these are the best and the brightest, and they're making so much money, and they're not going to be a public charge. They're going to be a public charge for the very reason why you want them. 
So we're always bean counting the economics and the wages and the, you know, the jobs, all they need labor, but no one ever looks at the fiscal cost, much less the cultural cost and um, the crime. This is what we're going to do to our Norman Rockwell communities? Really? At the highest levels. Lindsey Graham. He, and this is another lesson. Remember what I said? What do they do? The worst dirtbag rhinos, they put out a phony good piece of legislation or a YouTube video showing that they're aggressive. They'll say like, liberal, I hate liberals or something. And then they get the president's endorsement. And then he endorses them. So there's no good primary challenger against Graham. Tillis's primary challenger dropped out. And now they're pushing amnesty. It's even before the primary. They haven't even been renominated yet, much less reelected. They're ready back to their old ways. Are we that stupid? Folks, this is happening. And let me tell you something. The amount of of problems you have in north carolina that state is tipping because of these very policies and tom tillis thinks it's not becoming like virginia quickly enough also there's there's a major illegal alien sex offender problem in north carolina 30 percent of north carolina counties someone once counted up according to the epoch times 30 percent of north carolina counties just 30 percent of them and found that over a period of 18 months in just 30% of the counties, there are more than 331 illegal aliens charged with 1,172 child rapes and child sexual assaults. Now, where do you think most of them work during the day? Okay? Well, that's the very reason why Tom Tillis is pushing this. He wants that. So this is stuff you're not going to hear anywhere else, but... Folks, you absolutely need to hear this. You need to alert the president. Okay, call them. Um, I don't know if they're open today. Maybe they're not. Um, I didn't try the number, but you definitely want to flood them. 202-456-1111. Say no. Absolutely no to this Farm Modernization Workforce Act, H.R. 5038. Um, ask them why the vice president is supporting this. Just straight, it's a straight up mass amnesty. I, I, I mean, and then, and then folks, this is just one dimension. They're also working on a DACA amnesty. Remember the Supreme court in all likeliness, unless Roberts goes crazy on us again, they're going to say like, uh, yeah, um, the president is allowed to enforce immigration law. I mean, I, I, the fact that we need the Supreme Court is unbelievable, but likely they're going to say, say that immediately. All the people with th- three, four, five million criminal aliens in this country, who knows how many destroying this country. No sense of urgency to act on behalf of Kate Steinle's family. By the way, um, Zarate, the, the Kate Steinle murder just got off yet another thing. So first, if you remember. San Francisco, which is Jim Crow, you want to talk about a lot of people are talking about a a two tiered justice system. We have a two tiered justice system in places like San Francisco. Whenever an American is killed by an illegal alien, they are so pro illegal alien, they will not convict them. So he had all of the murder charges, including third degree thrown out. Then he had state gun charges thrown out. Then Steinle's family tried to sue them. But no, you can't sue. Only illegal only illegals could sue us. 
And then finally, the Fed stepped in and charged them with federal firearm charges. And suddenly the dirtbag Obama appointed federal judge says, I think the guy is not mentally competent to stand trial. Mind you, he was mentally competent to re to, to return to the country after being deported five times. Mind you, he stood for trial for seven felony convictions over his history here. Suddenly, now that it's become an immigration issue and it's exposed that he is an illegal alien who one of the most notorious ones who killed Kate Steinle, oh, now suddenly he's just not mentally competent. So there's an emergency to pass that bill to give Americans a right to um, uh, a private cause of action to sue sanctuaries. And also one other thing, just, just from a criminal standpoint, where the hell is criminal justice reform for victims i'm sick of this what all these cases where the worst dirtbags get let out on these loopholes reagan talked about this 35 years ago reforming the 30 38 years ago reforming the insanity plea that it was being abused and we still haven't fixed that why is nobody i mean this publication is like we are very much pro-justice reform well i'm pro-justice reform i'm more pro-justice reform than anyone since when does justice only mean for dirtbags and not for the... Damn it. Peaceful American citizens. Man, I'm getting myself so worked up. Jeez. Anyway. So that's the story. No sense of urgency for that. But the minute... Oh, DACA! Oh! Oh my God! Oh, these people! We, we gotta get them amnesty! 90% of Republicans, by the way, are going to be clamoring, including Trump and the administration. We are going to get a massive, and I promise you, it's going to happen. Mark my words. That's the thing. If I ever had an audience with Tucker, it's like, Tucker, talk about the egg amnesty. Talk about the jailbreak bill they're pushing Trump to, to, to work on as a third step back. Talk about DACA. Say no. This time, it's enforcement first. Before you do anything with them, it's time to fulfill the promises of the American people first, which, by the way, because of the lies and the failures to achieve those promises is exactly why we have these people in this status now, because they, they came based on the lack of enforcement last time around. So it's time to change the order and put Americans first. Man, am I so annoyed. So anyway, we're going to be watching all these amnesty bills as time goes on. So anyway, I just want to move on to another immigration-related story. There's a lot going on on crime, some other issues, um, but with Congress out, it gives us a little bit of breathing time uh, before we have to focus on some other stuff. So some of you might have seen over the weekend a big story. I got some emails on this that the... DHS, CBP, they are deploying what's called BORTAC, which is the tactical unit of Border Patrol to some cities like L.A. and Boston, uh, sanctuary cities to help with the apprehension of criminal aliens. Um, so what's going on here? A lot of you want to know what, what the deal is. Is this some great maneuver or something? So first off, what I've heard from very, very senior DHS officials is that there really is nothing new going on here. Often you'll hear stories where it sounds like something new happened, but it's really just a matter of uh, the liberal media got a hold of the fact that something like this exists. So then they start writing about it. 
and however they found out about it. But it's not that anything new has happened. So my understanding is that they've always assisted to a certain extent um, and they could do this. Remember, keep in mind, Border Patrol, a lot of people forget this. They could operate up to 100 miles from the border. Now, if you think about it, 100 miles from the border means any border. Southwest Mexican border, maritime borders, Canadian borders. So New York City is a border city. Boston's a border city. Chicago might even be based on Canada. Um, certainly Seattle is. Uh, San Francisco, L.A., if you look, it's very interesting. I mean, Miami, New Orleans, a good amount of the major cities are really considered border cities where the Border Patrol could fully operate. And, you know, I, I am a strong believer. And again, I don't, I don't get the impression that more of this is happening. Um, ICE has their own tactical unit. I forgot what it's called, but uh, they've had Border Patrol assist before if it's within 100 miles. And I think it's a fabulous idea, and it needs to be done more often. Um, BORTAC is, for those of you who don't know, uh, they're one of the two major special operations units of Border Patrol. The other one is BORSTAR. That's more search and rescue, which is totally being used not for the benefit of Americans, but all about rescuing illegal aliens. And again, you know, obviously you have someone dying in front of us, whoever that person is. We want to save human life. But what I don't like is when we institutionalize on taxpayer dime that everything is about saving other people at the expense of Americans and not protecting our security when it's our security that needs to be dealt with to go after the cartels. And BORTAC, which is more like the unit that should have been going after the cartels, has more and more been roped into the humanitarian work as well. So I'm a big fan, is, and I've told you guys this before. To me, interior enforcement is king. We have millions of just criminal aliens in this country that we only have 5,300 or so deportation officers. We need Border Patrol to assist with that. Now, some of you, some of you might say, well, don't we need them at the border? As I've told you, and I know this is a nuanced view that you're not going to hear elsewhere, it's a joke. Um, if you cut off the magnets and interior enforcement, they won't come. If you don't, they will come. Moreover, Border Patrol is broken. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, CBP is broken. Um, they, they, they view the border with the wrong lens. They don't view it with a military mindset. And that's why, unless we have the military there, we are not going to combat the smuggling of dangerous people and the cartels. Um, either we have it and we solve the problem or we don't. Look, we're, we, we've tripled the size of Border Patrol since 2000, and, it's not, and it hasn't really helped. Um, because it's a tactical problem. So I would much rather actually use them on the interior. Much rather use them on the interior. Here's a friend of mine who uh, is in Border Patrol, and he just he just always laments to me how they don't view this, they don't view their job as with a military lens. Um, you know, because there was an article in ProPublica about these agents saying basically one supervisor is quoted as saying the way I see it, the basic foundation of our job is to take care of the people. And if we can't do that, we can't do anything else. So here, my friend who who's an agent in Texas, he says, look, our agents don't even know what the mission is. The statement shows that it shows that the left wants us to switch to a humanitarian mission of FEMA for refugees and asylum seekers. 
That is why in the military, whenever we are given an order for mission, it follows this sequence. Situation, mission, execution, sustainment, and command and control. We don't move unless the situation is fully developed by analyzing everything. Then based off the situation and then the commander's intent, we receive our mission. This is not how Border Patrol does business. Our agents don't know anything about the situation. The agency distorts facts and refuses to address the real situation, which then allows the loudest and most legally threatening group to create the situation. The left has currently dominated that arena, pushed the narrative backed by lawyers in the fabricated situation, families, refugees, asylum seekers. Oh, the border doesn't need security or a wall. If that is the only thing happening at the border, it's a humanitarian mission. Meanwhile, the actual situation remains hidden and the enemy, the cartels, operate with impunity overshadowed by the left's narrative and legal team. And this is only making the cartel stronger. He also said to me, um, he was just very frustrated by by the narrative. Um, Border Patrol leadership creates our mission in order to pacify the left or hide our vulnerabilities. The union creates a mission to address agents' issues, pay, gear, hiding bad agents, Whose mission is defending the Constitution, the sovereignty of our land, security of our nation from the cartels? It isn't a group. Unfortunately, it's only a few ind- individuals. He, he noted it's very, very depressing. And then he basically said to me, um, almost all the guys that I trust that were going the extra mile, that were putting up with the um, putting up their own personal cameras that deeply cared about the mission have either transferred, will transfer out, or left to go to a different three-letter federal agency. Um, he notes that he's one of the only good guys left where, where his, in his station. Um, they are jaded. There seems to be no end in sight. Our leadership touts progress with vanity numbers, such as increased drug seizures or lowering apprehension numbers. Our president and social media conservatives in their ivory towers speak only to the border wall. Meanwhile, we are getting manhandled by the cartels and the thousands of U.S. citizens that work for them along the border. That's a whole nother problem. The the Mexican immigrants, illegal immigrants over the years that became citizens on our border. It's an insurgency. The cartels are stronger and larger than ever. Their influence touches and has a vice grip on every aspect along the U.S. side of the border socioeconomics, politics, religion. We are facing terrorist organizations and their innumerable networks and allies. We go to work knowing we will lose. And if we continue in the same vein, we will not win. So, you know, he himself kind of, he kind of sounds like me on the political end. He's very jaded, very much wonders what he's doing there. And, And that's the thing. It's not a matter of number of agents, amount of miles of wall built, although it does help in certain ways. Um, it's about the mission. Are we going to view it as securing a perimeter or are we going to view it as um, a law enforcement operation or worse, a humanitarian operation? So that's why I'm a, I'm, I'm a huge fan of diverting BORTAC for interior enforcement within 100 miles of, of any border, because at least interior enforcement is something that we can do fully, um, mainly fully. And the more we throw people out and the more we enforce our laws, the less inclined people will be to come here. And, you know, the cartels still will, but at least a lot of their operatives internally on the interior on the interior will get broken up. So that's just the latest on that. I wanted to give you that update. Um, And, yeah, there's a lot more on the crime front to talk about. Um, 
you know, I found interesting, Greg Abbott tweeted out the end of last week, surveys show people feel less safe in downtown Austin. They feel less safe downtown than they have been in at least six years. 55% say they don't feel safe walking alone downtown at night. This is Austin, Texas, the governor now admitting. I mean, all these people, it's funny. I saw someone from the Texas Public Policy Koch Foundation retweeting this, and it, and it was funny because, you know, the Kochs are always, oh, the crime's lower than ever. Why are you worried about this? Well, it's lost on them. Why? Why do you think after two decades of crime going down, suddenly it's going up? Gee, because we've experimented the last decade with criminal justice reform, not just in New York and California, but in Texas as well. Crime, secure borders, the cartels, interior enforcement. Folks, there's so much to focus on, and yet we have a Republican Party focused on amnesty, and they're trying to get the president roped into this. Will our voices be heard, or will we actually go backwards, backwards with Trump because he'll be captured by the enemy forces? That is our job, short-term, long-term. We obviously need to create a new party. Anyway, let me know what you want to cover this week. We have a lot of more exciting news I want to get to as well. Um, new new guests, new advertisers, hopefully. Um, lots going on. If you want to advertise on the show, uh, if you have a great freedom product uh, that you want a freedom-oriented audience to, to help push, look, we got to be independent. I mean, this is the only way uh, to, to make this out of reach from the swamp is if we are self-supporting and and that that that's that's the key to remain as an independent conservative um because we see what happens when you lose your independence um it all becomes about fighting for conservatism whoops except for when it actually matters <laughs> except for when the ball is in play and there's actual people you can influence but I'm a little bit too scared because I want to keep this you know tribalism fairy tale going on um George Washington warned, he warned that the, the, the government, the, the republic would come apart from political factions. I mean, that was his thing. And that this, during this week, we should really celebrate not just every president, because frankly, a lot of them were a bunch of bimbos. Um, it's George Washington and his legacy, how we can continue that legacy or at least resurrect and restore some modicum of the original promise of this great social compact. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening. <laughs>